It's going to be a more of a topical message today. I've entitled the message, God's Will for You, Daily Thanksgiving. And the text that I get this from is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. But again, this is going to be a real topical message, so we're going to jump out of this verse and go to a lot of different verses. But this is the verse where I get this from. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you give us your word, you give us your truth. Your son came and he said, sanctify them, that's us, in your word, in your truth. Your word is truth. Father, I desire not to speak merely my own words, merely my own thoughts and opinions. Lord, I, I want to communicate with your help, with your strength, and with your guidance, your word. Father, you, you've, you've ordained that your word would be a tool a means by which we are sanctified. Lord, I pray that you, that, would, that would be the case here today. Please settle our hearts. Be glorified, be magnified in this place today, and even save the lost. In the name of your Son, amen. Well, uh, many, many of you all know, it was not even a couple of years ago, almost two years ago, I was able to make a trip uh, to San Cristobal, Venezuela. Right? Where there was a little group there that we had communication with, we had contact with, and they desired to function together as a church. And so they requested uh, help to initiate uh, the first church service over there. So I made the flight. I was able to book the ticket to go to Venezuela. My flight was from San Antonio to Orlando, to Bogota, Colombia, and then into Venezuela. So lots of you know that I went to Venezuela, but some of you guys, uh, a lot of you guys don't know this story that happened to me. So I spent the night in Orlando and uh, was able to go super early to the airport to make sure I got to the gate at the right time. And so I found myself at the gate hours before boarding time. So I was good. I started to relax. A lot of you all would do the same thing, right? Start relaxing, occupying yourself, and getting distracted, getting the earbuds in. And then something happened. Well, the, the boarding time started at the gate. And I started putting everything away. I went to the area where people were boarding, and I noticed something. Everybody was speaking English. <laughs> And I immediately had a thought, am I at the right place? <laughs> no Spanish speaking. I mean, we're going to Bogota, Colombia. Somebody's got to be speaking Spanish, right? So I thought, this isn't right here. And I look up, and it said Dallas. <laughs> I was informed that the, the, the gate to Bogota had changed. And this isn't like the San Antonio airport. The Orlando airport is a little bigger. I had to take a shuttle, a train shuttle, to get to the other building where the gate was. So I, of course, frantically started running, trying to get directions. And so I realized really quickly that the directions I've gotten may have been a little misguided. So I had uh, more times than I can count told to go this way, to go that way, and before you knew it, time ran by, and I was not 30 minutes after the boarding time, 30 minutes after the supposed departure time. So I started getting disheartened. <laughs> but I was there in the last time going on that train, and I saw Spirit Airline flight attendants. It said Spirit. That's the airline I was using. So I asked them, please, could you, could you let me know what's going on? So they looked into their device and they said, I, I'm so sorry. Your flight has departed. You're going to have to reschedule. And so immediately I felt so discouraged because if I didn't leave that day and I had to leave the next day, I was going to miss the first initial Sunday morning meeting. 
And so I finally got to the gate where I was supposed to go. The sign, there was nobody in the waiting area. The sign on, on the top there didn't say Bogota. It didn't say anything. And there was nobody behind the counter. So I thought, okay, I'll just wait until somebody comes out and helps me reschedule. Well, about a minute later, somebody did come out. She came out of the tunnel and she said, Bogota? And I said, yes. She said, come, hurry, hurry. I w- everything in my heart just flipped. I mean, I went from feeling extremely discouraged, disheartened, to feeling overwhelmingly joy and thanksgiving. I was extremely grateful to God. Now, when I stepped onto the plane, a flight attendant there immediately said, I'm so sorry, but the only seat is all the way in the back. And I I think I cut her off and I said, listen, I am so thankful that I'm on this flight. You put me in the bathroom the whole time. I'm just thankful to be here right now. I don't remember my exact words, but it was something. I don't think I said the bathroom part, but I probably felt it. Okay. Now, do you think, do you all think that that would have been my response if I had been there in the beginning? If I was in the front of the line, if I did everything right and I was at the right gate at the right time? Would that have been my response, you think? If not, why? Why? Why did I have this level of gratitude and thanksgiving? It is because at that moment, I was utterly aware that I could have, would have, and should have missed my flight. I was the one at fault, right? I was slacking off, I was distracted, and I was not at the right gate at the right time. I should have missed the flight, But God was merciful. He is sovereign, he's in control, and he was merciful. So the thanksgiving that I had and felt was intensified in the backdrop of what should have happened. And so this morning, I want to remind us all here today of what could have, would have, and should have happened to each one of us because of our sin. You deserve, I deserve, you deserve to miss your flight, so to speak. But God is merciful, and many of you are on that, the plane, the plane of salvation. My desire is that this here would serve as a reminder of the mercies of God in the backdrop of what our sin and its consequences when going through the all circumstances that we face in our everyday life. My hope, again, is that this would stir us up and fuel us for daily thanksgiving, which is God's will for you and me. And we sing that song, don't we? Your will, Lord, your will, how I long for your will. May my heart ever blend with your will. Amen. That that will that 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 song is talking about, it's It's trying to discern. It's wrestling for God's will. But that's not the case with everything. that This right here, the Thanksgiving, that's not the case. We don't have to wrestle and discern. Is it God's will for me to grumble and complain, or is it God's will to give thanks? That's not applicable here, right? All right, let's think about this. All of humanity, all the billions of people in this world, We can have a division, separation, the saved and the lost, the believers and the unbelievers, the righteous, the unrighteous, the godly, the ungodly. But how about this? The thankful and the unthankful. I believe that the thankful are actually in the category of the godly, and I want to develop this, and the unthankful are in the category of of the ungodly. So the godly, the thankful, the ungodly, the unthankful. Those whom the Lord has worked out and is continued to work in a thankful spirit are in the category of the ungodly. And those who are characterized by unthankfulness are in the category of the ungodly. Again, let me seek to develop this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Many of us 
are very familiar with this passage. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, listen to this, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness oppress the truth. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Okay, note verse 18. You see there, the, there's a distinct, uh, uh, Paul is distinguishing ungodliness from unrighteousness, meaning they don't mean the same thing. Ungodliness would be the attitude that we have toward God, our disposition toward him. And unrighteousness has to do with sinful specific actions. Now, there, there is an overlap between ungodliness and unrighteousness. Yes, they do go hand in hand. It's similar to faith and repentance. When we think about faith and, re- and repentance, one cannot exist without the other, correct? Yet they do not mean the same thing. Ungodliness is essentially living as though God does not exist, just making your life, ignoring him, not seeking to glorify and honor him in your day-to-day life. So no, again, the ungodliness that we see in verse 21, it says there uh, very clearly, they don't honor him. They don't give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 21 is the ungodliness that I believe that Paul mentions in verse 18. And that ungodliness is what leads to the unrighteousness in verse 24 down. So living lies void of honoring thoughts of God and giving thanks to him is what leads to wicked behavior. Uh, Living ungodly does not necessarily mean that you are deliberately, intentionally seeking to just drive God out of your thoughts and out of your mind. It's not necessarily that. It's just ignoring him. It's just going about your day, doing what you do without thoughts of honoring, glorifying, and thanking God. That is ungodly. So, I want to quote Jerry Bridges here. If you have not read his book, Respectable Sins, I strongly recommend it. He says this about ungodliness. He says, I believe that all our other acceptable sins can ultimately be traced to this root sin of ungodliness. To use a tree as an, as an illustration, we can think of all sins, big or small, growing out of the trunk of pride. But that which sustains the life is the tree Uh, In the tree is the root system, in this case, the root of ungodliness. It is ungodliness that ultimately gives life to our more visible sins. So you see what he's saying about pride and ungodliness. He says he believes that ungodliness is even the root of pride. So pride has its life and gives off to all the other sins, but the root of that, he would say, is ungodliness. I would like to consider, and this time this morning, different ways that Scripture describes our condition B.C., before Christ. The plane should have taken off that B.C. And our condition after God intervenes. We caught the flight. We are on the plane. The plane should have taken off B.C., But the Lord had mercy, and we are on the plane of salvation. By his grace, he intervened. So may this help us to kill ungodly thanklessness and work in our hearts such thankfulness every day in all circumstances in light of what would have happened if God did not intervene. And so, first, again, I'm going to list different conditions, different ways that we went from B.C. to after God intervenes. And this is not going to be an exhaustive list. So you might think, why didn't he mention this or that? There are, there are more, right? But with the time permitted, I'm going to go through with what I can. Okay? And this is not a, any particular order. 
So first, we went from enemies of God to friends of God. Does the Bible teach that we are enemies of God? Well, James 4, 4, friendship with the world equals enmity with God. So yes, it does. So people like to say, you, we hear this, right? We all have our own personal relationship with God. I have my own personal relationship with God. You might hear that in the college campuses and the Haven for Hope or in your day-to-day evangelism or uh, Friday night downtown. You might hear somebody just totally wasted, just all kinds of foul things coming out of their mouth, no care in the world, saying, I have my own personal relationship with God. So what do we say? How do we respond to that? I tell them, amen. You're right. We all have our own personal relationship with God. Now the question is, are you his friend or are you his enemy? If you are his friend sitting here today, you didn't used to be his friend. We were in our BC days shaking our fist toward the heaven, toward God himself. We were at enmity with him. We were hostile towards God. We were at odds with him. Psalm chapter 2. The nations rage, the people's plot in vain, conspiring against the Lord. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs at the plots. But those, those people plotting, we should enter into that. That was us conspiring against the Lord and against his anointed. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. Why? Because all the resources that we can muster up, all the strength, it's all futile. It's useless. Just the thought, imagine this, you yourself, me, Jonathan Sanguinetti, imagine this, going up against a country, trying to go up in arms with all my strength and all my resources, trying to go and fight a country. I should be utterly terrified at that thought, frightened beyond measure. But we aren't talking about a nation. We're not talking about a king. We're talking about the king of kings who holds the king and all the kingdoms and the nations and all the universe by the word of his power. This is the one who we are fighting against, who we are hostile towards. We don't want to go against this king. Psalm chapter 7, if a man does not repent, God will wit his sword. He has bent and made ready his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. You don't want to go against this God. Oh, but, you know, these are just the Psalms. This is the Old Testament that we're talking about, right? God is not like that anymore. He's changed. Mm. New Testament, and I'm going to quote one verse, but it's saturated in the scripture, old and new. Luke chapter 19, verse 27. Jesus says, as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the God that we're talking about here. And despite our hostility towards God, according to Romans chapter 5, We went from being enemies to being reconciled and having peace with God. From being enemies to being friends of God. Despite what we deserve. What mercy, right? What reason to give thanks to God for saving us. He would have just left us. That's the state where we would have been right now. Enemies of God. Another one. Second, we were blind, but now we see. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. 1 John 2.11. Whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John 3:19 And this is the judgment that light has come into the to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We were in a helpless state of blindness, but make no mistake about it according to John 3, 
we were not only kept there because of the God of this world, we were also kept there because we wanted that. We desired the darkness. That's what it says. And we were kept there and we could not see. We cannot see in the darkness. And there was a man who was born blind, right? He lived his whole entire life blind. And he said this after Jesus opened his eyes. They were interrogating him. They were asking him all kinds of questions. What's going on? And he said, one thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. Think about that man, that moment. Who was more thankful to have sight than him? Right? After having all these years of not being able to see anything, to like that, being able to see everything. And this is just a picture into the spiritual realm. We were blind, and now we see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, while the world around us is utterly blinded and dark, they're in complete darkness to it. They cannot see it. What a reason to give thanks that God gave us sight, and now we see. So when things are going, think about this, when things are going wrong all around us, that you see things happening, and it provokes you to anger or whatever else, unrighteous anger, it tempts you to have all kinds of bad thoughts because of what you see, let, let that thought alone, what you see, be a motivation to remember the sight that you have, not just in the physical realm, if you're a Christian, in the spiritual realm. Just let the sight of seeing things that you don't like remind you of that reality that you see. Third, we went from being deaf, now we hear. John eight forty three. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You can't bear to hear my word. Romans eleven eight. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Again, people all around us, they're unable to see and they're unable to hear God's word. But we have to remind ourselves that's exactly where we were all at. You're either like that right now or you used to be. But something happened like that man that was born blind. Jesus does something and he opens up our ears. And this is what it says about the sheep of God. It says, Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my, word, my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We are able to hear his voice, the voice of Jesus calling us. He says, come, follow me. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We hear the voice of Jesus. We hear him saying, I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken, so he speaks them and we hear them, their spirit and life. We hear the words of eternal life. And we hear, think about this, we hear the words of Jesus thousands of years later after he came and, and died, buried, resurrected. Thousands of years later, we hear them more tangibly, more real than even those people who literally heard his words with their physical ears. Thousands of years later, we hear his voice. We were deaf, and now we can hear. Again, next time you hear something that you don't like, that isn't right, and you're tempted with bad thoughts or whatever else, remember that you can hear. Remember that you can hear, Christian, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. And that by the grace and mercy of God. Four, we went from heart of stone to heart of flesh. So we talked about a couple of senses, sight, hearing. How about the sense of touch? Let's look at this. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. Hardness of heart, they have become callous. 
callous. We understand what a callous is, right? I have some calluses right here. I don't feel myself. I'm pinching myself, but I hardly feel it, right? But pinch another part of my body, and I might jump a little, right? We understand callous. We don't feel. Well, when we're heart of heart, when our hearts are of stone and callous, you don't feel the things of God. You don't feel, you're not sensitive toward his word. You're not sensitive toward him. You're not sensitive toward sin. But God did something. He busted through the doors, ripped out that stony heart, and replaced He didn't just take out the heart of stone. He replaced it with a heart of flesh that's now sensitive toward him. We feel God. We feel his word. We feel sin. Sin causes us to feel grief, godly grief. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. When we were in our lost BC days, we had a hardness. We had a heart of stone, and it was unfeeling toward sin. At most, we felt worldly grief. But there's a vast difference between worldly grief and godly grief. One leads to life, one leads to death. So yes, it is a great difference. But our great physician, he has operated And now we have a heart transplant. We know when people need a heart transplant in the physical realm, it's a desperate state. They're surely going to die if they had this news that there is a heart transplant for them. They would be thankful beyond measure. Is that right? I mean, this is your heart that we're speaking about. You'd be thankful beyond measure if you had the news that there is a heart transplant for you and now you're going to live. But brethren, we have new hearts. And this surgeon, he guarantees total success. No, no other doctor could do that. I mean, they might say it. They wouldn't probably, but they might say it, but they can't do it. Jesus performs every operation successfully. And we're not talking about just adding a few more years to this momentary life. (laughs) We're not talking about that. We're talking about eternity. That is the type of operation that God is doing with us. We all feel different things, and I don't want to take away from the different kinds of pains that some of you guys have experienced maybe are experiencing or will experience. I don't want to take away from that, but we all feel some measure of pain, physical pain. So I just want you to imagine, maybe in the past or or excuse me, in the future, if and when you stump your toe or you throw the door and it hits your fingers, you feel a lot of pain. And again, you're, you're tempted to think and feel ways that you shouldn't. Remember that you can feel And may this drive you to jog your memory to the feeling that we have because of God intervening in our lives. In the spiritual realm, we have new hearts. Fifth, from natural person to spiritual. From natural person to spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I can recall in Laredo, after a church service one day, there was a visitor. I was able, I had an open door, and I had a really good conversation with him. I had liberty. I was explaining to him the ins and outs of the gospel, trying to Explain it in a simple way, right? Justification. I felt, like I say, tremendous liberty and clarity coming out. He was nodding his head and seemed to be in in agreement with it. He seemed to be understanding what I was telling him. But at the end, his response was something like, You're right. You are correct. I just need to try a little harder and do a little better so I can make sure that I go to heaven. I'm right. When did I say that? (laughs) The natural man does not understand. 
They don't have the ability to understand. Romans chapter 3 says no one understands. Apart from the Spirit of God giving illumination, you're not going to understand the basic, simple things of the gospel. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. God does something. He does intervene. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. We have knowledge and understanding. Why? Because we're so intelligent and smart? Oh, God gave us understanding. 1 Corinthians, that same passage, chapter 2, it goes on and it says that we have understanding and we have the mind of Christ. If the Spirit of God does not give us understanding, we will have no understanding. We won't. And we'll be like the countless people the countless people who view the gospel as folly, as we once did. So next time, you people who are in school especially, but I think this could be applicable to everyone, next time you can't understand the mathematical equation or whatever else life presents that you can't understand, remember, don't get so frustrated, remember and be thankful that you have understanding on the most important questions of eternal life and the gospel. Well, six. From not my people to sons of the living God, we were the uncircumcision. We were the ones separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. We were the ones far off, strangers and aliens. That was us. Now, this isn't strangers and aliens. This isn't like the United States of America right now or maybe other countries where countless people are flooding in illegally and still benefiting from what this country has to offer. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about here. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, there's no one getting into his kingdom illegally. Being a foreigner and an alien means that you're completely excluded from the citizenship, and therefore, because of that, you're excluded from all the blessings. But... God intervenes. Scripture says later on in Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, the ones who were alienated, the ones who were looking in but far off from a distance, they are the ones that are now brought near by the blood of Christ. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now you may be excluded from a lot of things in this world for whatever reasons, right? Maybe the whole citizenship that I'm talking about, you might be excluded. Maybe your visa will expire, your citizenship that's not the case in God's kingdom. Every citizen is a citizen forever. Second, or sorry, seventh. We're going back. Seventh. From dead in sin to alive together with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 again. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Being dead in sin, what does that mean? It means that you're incapable of doing any spiritual good. All of us. We're in this state by nature. All of us like the rest of mankind. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, without me you could do nothing. There's not one thing that you can do without Jesus. And you're in this place of being dead apart from Christ. Well, what's our hope? What can we do? Like Lazarus, 
unable to resurrect himself. He can't just speak to himself and say, we need to get up here. I need to get up here. That's not going to work. He's dead. He can't resurrect from the grave. This was us. This is us. This was us or is us. If Jesus had never said, Lazarus, come forth, he would still be in the grave. He would be, he would, he would never resurrected, I should say. He, he would have stayed there. And that's the same for us. We are without hope outside of God's effectual call from death to life. But God, Ephesians 2 continues, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's a song. I like it. Speaking about life, okay? I don't know if you all have heard it. It goes, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, got this heartbeat in my chest. Okay, when I think about life, we are alive in the physical realm, all of us here sitting. The situations are going to come, right? Hardships, hard times, persecutions, they're going to come. If you're able to, during the midst of those times, Pause, feel your heart beating, and remember, you're alive. And if you're a Christian, may that just bring you back to you're alive in the spiritual realm. Eight, from slaves of sin to free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Being a slave to sin, it isn't like the forced slavery that we all are familiar with. that's, That's not what we're dealing with here. It's a willing slavery. Like we talked about the darkness, men loving the darkness. It's a willful slavery. It's due to our love for sin. We are slaves to do nothing else but serve our sin master, forever a slave to sin. And think about this. The more time goes by, the more you reject and ignore God in Christ, the more you go away, go astray, go your own way, ignoring him, rejecting Christ, the heavier your chains become, the the tighter the grip feels. Listen, Alcoholics Anonymous AA, they can't, they can't break the chains. They can't free you. No. Covenant, covenant eyes, it's not going to free you. Accountability partners, it's not going to free you. Simple church attendance, it's not going to free you. Your, your pastor, it's not going to feed you, free you. We get countless emails And I'll be honest, I get some of those, a lot of those. And a lot of those that I get, they're talking about their slavery to sin. And and they want to figure out through us if there's somehow, some way, someday that they can communicate with Paul Washer. Paul Washer cannot free you from your chains. No, not even Paul Washer. No one, nothing else, no a human institution, nothing engineered by man can free you. But you're bound, you're a slave to sin, but God. Jesus comes in, he breaks through the door, and he proclaims, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Ninth. And I don't think I'm going to get through all of them. We're already at 1042, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I might go through one more. <clears throat> From lost to found. Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. We were lost. I mean, we're not talking just about like a, a needle in a haystack. No, we were, we were far gone. We were, that is not even comparable to the state that we were in. We were totally lost. I have a pastor friend from Mexico. He went missing. He was lost. Tim mentioned him, if some of you guys were here and remember that. 
He mentioned him years ago in a prayer meeting. Turns out he was kidnapped by the cartels. He was in the back of the truck of the cartels with a blindfold with several others. Now you can imagine he was in a desperate state of desiring to be found and rescued. I mean, there were people diligently seeking him out, trying to find him. He had a lot of loved ones all over trying to find him, but they did it to no avail. They were unsuccessful. But this is quite different when Jesus says he comes to seek and save that which is lost. He is not unsuccessful. He will accomplish his purpose to seek. If he's going to seek you out to find you, he will do it. He will seek you out. He will find you. There is total success. He will seek and save the lost. He will leave the 99 and go for the one. He will. And we were lost. We went astray. We went our own way. But praise the Lord. Though we were lost, now we are found. So, Going back to me in the airport and being lost in the airport, and you all could relate somehow, maybe not quite that bad, I don't know, but if you were in that place, God, in the future, if you get to that place where you get totally confused and lost, just remind yourself of the reality of us being lost in the spiritual realm. And though you're frantically looking to try to be found, to try to find where you're supposed to go, you can praise God and say, I am found. <laughs> Despite that I'm lost, yet I am found. Okay, I might have time for one more. Okay, just one more. I have, I have several more, but that's okay. Just one more. Bear with me. One more. Okay, 10. From poor to rich. Revelation 3, 7. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, we all understand what it means to be poor, right? Maybe in this country, we can't enter in like in other countries, because in other countries, to be in extreme poverty means you don't have any access whatsoever to food, clothing, shelter, but in these places, being poor means just that. It's not like this country. where In this country, you have access to all kinds of different resources, even if you were in the, in the bottom parts here. Now, thinking about poverty, again, we should think of this as being every single one of us. We were all there in the spiritual realm. This was all of us, or this is you presently. Now, you may have come here in a nice vehicle. You might have a really nice job in a nice house. But if you are outside of Christ, you are this morning flat broke. You are bankrupt. You have no access to the essential items, not of food and clothing here on earth, but of the essentials in the spiritual realm, for life abundant in the spiritual realm. You could have, hypothetically, more money than Musk and Gates combined. But apart from Christ, you are flat broke. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You may be spiritually broke and bankrupt but there's good news jesus christ is in the business of making poor people rich ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us he has the riches of grace and he's not just giving a little he is lavishing it upon us richly second corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. This sounds like a contradiction. You have nothing, you have everything. What is this? 
You have nothing in one sense, and you have everything in the other. In this world, we have the sign out there, Jesus Christ saying, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole entire world and at the end loses his soul? You can have it all. You can have as much money as you want and have everything in this world, and yet you have nothing. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. When we're in a tight financial situation, maybe the way this country is going, I don't know. But when we're, if we ever get to extreme poverty or if you ever get there, just remember Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned in whatever situation, remember the original text, whatever circumstance, whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Again, every circumstance as the original text in 1 Thessalonians 5. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Even if one day you end up in extreme poverty, resist the temptation of grumbling and complaining, and remember that in Christ you are rich. We do preach here at GCC San Antonio, Texas, the prosperity gospel. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. We preach that here in this church unapologetically. We are not ashamed of that, but it's the true prosperity gospel. We're not talking about the fake prosperity gospel, the one of the name it and claim it. We're talking about the true riches in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to skip over the next couple ones. The, the time just flew by, so I apologize. Maybe there'll be a part two. I don't know what you guys want, but we'll see. Um, so we see here. That this, this list that, again, this list that I just went over is not an exhaustive list. And I didn't even go through all the ones that I had. But my hope is that this would help us as believers in this journey for daily Thanksgiving. Now, thinking about unbelievers, I want to think about unbelievers here for a moment. We talked about the godly and the ungodly. Unbelievers, let me ask you all a question. Why is it that unbelievers live ungodly lives? Why are you so void of thanksgiving and gratitude to God? What is the reason for this? You guys have any thoughts? Why? Why? Well, one reason could be that you're not seeing the reality of what your sin deserves. You're not seeing that reality of what your sin deserves. You're not seeing possibly also the extent of God's work in salvation and his love in sending his only son to save sinners from their sin. Now, if you don't see and you don't believe these truths, then you are not saved. And if you are not saved, you cannot be overwhelmed and overflooded with thankfulness and gratitude in your heart for eternal life because you don't have eternal life. You can't be overwhelmed with gratitude that you will never perish. You can never be overwhelmed with gratitude of not being thrown into the lake of fire. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and the second death is the lake of fire, and that is what you and I deserve because of our sin. I commonly, especially at work, respond when people ask me, how are you doing? Sometimes I do say, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, got this heartbeat in my chest. But other times I say, better than I deserve. Now, I have been rebuked on more than one occasion by coworkers who hardly know me, but they say, that's not right that you would say that. Why are you saying that? According to them, I only deserve the good. I don't deserve the bad. What do you mean, better than you deserve? Now, I tried to explain one, one man somewhat recently. I tried explaining to him that I deserved the consequences of my sin. I, I tried to explain something to that effect, and it just seemed to go in one ear and out the other. Well, I guarantee you about this man, even though I don't know him very well, he is not characterized by thankfulness to God. He's not. He's not characterized by godliness. Again, when I arrived as the last passenger in that flight, I felt God's mercy 
in a very near and personal and special way. And I felt his care for me and for his sheep in Venezuela. I was blown away. I was completely humbled. I felt extreme thankfulness and gratitude for God's mercy and grace. But let's say if I had gotten to that gate and I was in the front of the line and I dotted all my I's and I crossed all my T's better than anyone else, I admit there might be a possibility that I would be tempted with the entitlement of a better seat. There would likely maybe be a huge temptation to complain if I'm in the middle between two big guys and they're spreading their legs out there and, and there's babies crying and I don't get my complimentary pretzels. <laughs> if you're thankless, your natural response is going to be that when you don't get what you feel you deserve. When you're not thankful, you're not thinking about God's goodness and his mercy, that your lung, that you're breathing, that your heart is continuing to beat, that you have countless other things in your body, let alone outside of your body, that are sustaining your life, which God is sustaining. You're not thinking about that. More than that, if you're thankless and you're godless, you're not seeing Christ as he who knew no sin for our sake became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Christians know the reality of going from having no wedding garment, which we didn't talk about, but that's okay, um, to being clothed to the righteousness of Christ. In the spiritual realm, Christians went from having nothing to having everything. Unbeliever, will you remain with the deception, clinging so closely with the lie that you deserve things like eternal life? And in the end, be thrown to the hell that you actually do deserve? Or, the other side, will you humble yourself and realize that you are not deserving, but God is merciful, and in the end, he'll give you the eternal life that you don't deserve? Which is it? This, the latter, this will end in your eternal thankfulness and worship and glorifying God in that way. Until that time comes, let us strive for daily thanksgiving, which is the will of God for you. Amen. Father God, thank you for this time. I pray that you would bless the, the, the preceding time for, um, or the time to come, that your word would be preached, that you would be glorified on this day. Help us all to listen and pay attention. Please help us. In the name of Jesus, amen.